Hey everybody, thank you for listening to Swarfcast. Before we start, we have a quick favor to ask you. If you love the show, please rate it and write a review on your podcast app. Or tell somebody about it. It really makes a difference for us and we'd appreciate it. Okay, on with the show. Selling a business uh, in our industry, most of our businesses are family-owned businesses. And with uh, family-owned businesses, generally, you only sell your company once, um, and it's an emotional decision. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff, here with my co-host, Lloyd Graff. Today's podcast is part two of an interview we did with John Haby IV of Metal Seal Corporation, a machining company based in Mentor, Ohio. Over the last several years, John has grown Metal Seal both organically and through major acquisitions. According to John, growing through acquisitions can be financially rewarding, but it does not come easily. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graffpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. John, I know you've looked at an awful lot of uh, companies, particularly in the machining field, and yet very few of them have come to fruition as buys for metal seal. Yeah. Is Is there any common denominator of why so many deals fail? Uh, the I, I would say the biggest thing is probably um, emotion. You know, selling a business uh, in our industry, most of our businesses are family-owned businesses. Um, and with uh, family-owned businesses, generally, you only sell your company once. Um, and it's an emotional decision. Uh, one of the biggest decisions uh, you'll make personally or uh for your financial well-being and uh, biggest decisions you're going to make for the company. The majority of the companies that uh, that we have uh, pursued and uh, don't uh, and don't do a deal with don't sell at all. Some of them uh, 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 maintain ownership. Uh, a, a lot of them get liquidated. Um, there's. Uh, there's one right now that there was a company that we made an offer on. They've decided they've decided to liquidate, um, and that's that's very normal. And the reason I'll say that's normal is in our industry, 
And, and that's for all small family-owned businesses. The companies, a lot of times, aren't as profitable maybe as they should be. And for that reason, they're worth more if they liquidate than if they try to sell based on a, a continuing operation uh, cash flow model, uh, like an EBITDA, EBITDA multiple. Hmm. It's... Uh, you know, it's around 50% of the companies that we look at mm-hmm. are worth more if they liquidate than if they, uh, than if they do sell. That's interesting because it seems like, uh, you know, since we've gotten sort of in, you know, our role in this, often the, the people who own the companies say, well, my equipment is worth so much money and, you know, that's not what you're interested in when no. you're buying a company, correct? Well, I, and sometimes their equipment really isn't worth very much. I tell you, when it comes to the liquidation side of it, we're not, we don't want to buy a company to buy the equipment to sell it. We can buy a company um, that's worth more liquidation wise mm-hmm. and buy it at the liquidation price and then try to turn it around. We'll do that. Uh, opportunities that we had that we ended up closing on was one of the granite companies bought a company that was worth more as a liquidation uh, but we were able to turn it around we brought uh, uh, for that industry for us our biggest customers home depot so first you liquidated and then you kept the work no we bought it at liquidation value Ah. so whatever that liquidation price was we bought it at that value and then we were able to make it profitable and worth more as an operating business by bringing Home Depot in as a customer to that particular facility. So you said to the person, like, the, the person said, well, I don't like this EBITDA formula. We could liquidate for X amount. And then you said, okay, well, we'll buy it for the liquidation amount. Actually, I told them. Um, when uh, I went in to see them, I said, listen, you're – your EBITDA value is this, your liquidation value is this, it's worth more as a liquidation, I'll, I'll pay that amount with the idea that, you know, if I'm able to turn it around and be successful, great. Um, if I'm not able to turn it around, then, you know, I've wasted some money and time trying to turn this business around, but I didn't take a huge risk because now I can liquidate it and, and get the money out that was in there. Uh, from an EBITDA standpoint, what formula do you use uh, in looking at a machining company? Why don't you, before we go any further, why don't you tell, for some of the people listening that don't know what EBITDA is, why don't you explain that either you, John, why don't you explain it, John, real quick, because you're very experienced with it. Sure. Okay. Um, EBITDA um, is a, really more of an accounting term. And it's earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. So basically, you take your net income and you add back what you uh, spent on interest, taxes, depreciation expense, and amortization expense. So basically, what that shows you is if the company had no debt, um, how much money does it make per year to give you free cash out of the business. So you start with that number. And then for valuing a company, it's usually a multiple of EBITDA. Uh, So let's say it's the EBITDA for a company is, uh, let's say it's $200,000. EBITDA 
multiples in our industry vary usually from, let's say, a three times EBITDA to six times EBITDA uh, being the range. And there's a lot of things that affect whether you're towards the high end of that multiple or the low end. To give you some, I can tell you some of the some of the things that are involved with the factor of how how that uh, whether you're at the high end or low end of that multiple range, with four and a half being in the middle. Less than twenty uh, percent uh, of your sales with your biggest customer, so no customers over twenty percent of your total sales is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, your largest customer, and that makes you towards that higher end of the range. The because it's safer range. and, you know. Yeah, just one customer, it's not as big of a deal. The higher that percentage goes up of that biggest customer, the more it hurts your EBITDA multiple. Uh, so like if a company has a 40% uh, of their business is one customer, that's a, that's a bad thing. If it's more than 50%, it's a very bad thing. Another thing that affects it are total sales. Um, a business that's doing $2 million a year in sales versus 50, a $50 million a year sales company has a higher multiple than a $2 million a year amount. And that goes up gradual, you know, it's, you know, throughout that whole, uh, whole scale. But higher sales is usually better. Mm-hmm. Consistency, another category is consistency of all your different numbers, sales, EBITDA, um, all those types of things falls into, tra- uh, into it. If your sales and EBITDA are dropping, that's bad, lower multiple. Uh, if they're growing, that's good, um, uh, a higher multiple. And also showing that consistency over a longer period of time. If, uh, if a company has $200,000 of EBITDA this year, but was zero all previous years, versus a company that's $200,000 in EBITDA every year over the last five years, the one that's more consistent is going to get a better, uh, a better multiple. Yet for every rule, there's an exception. Right. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you were telling me you were looking at a company – that only had one customer, yet you were interested in them. Yeah, that uh, that was for that particular one. It was a small business. Um, they were around two million dollars a year in sales, and they had one customer. But that customer fit our other business really well, um, and we had the opportunity to grow that customer a lot. So, for that one. Um, you know, it was very helpful to us for that size business. Uh, $2 million in sales to one customer is not a, is not a big number for us, but to a, a buyer unlike us, a, a, like a, a non-strategic buyer, maybe private equity or to somebody that was just going to buy that one business, it would have been a negative. Right. But to me, that was a positive. You were almost just buying a customer in that respect. Correct. That one, uh, that that deal was that way. A uh, lot of other things. Management team stability um, uh, is important. Uh, that you've got somebody. A lot of these cases, it's the owner that's selling the business, and they run all the day to day operations. If you buy the company from them, 
who's going to do all that stuff? Uh, if they've got somebody in place, that's great. Uh, one of the things I love to hear from a, a business owner that's selling his business is uh, that he goes to Florida for six months out of the mm-hmm. year. That means he's got a great investment team in place. Ah. Um, employees, uh, non-union is always uh, uh, better than union. Um, CapEx requirements. If you look at the age of the machines, if it's all uh, 1940s uh, vintage machines, then that can be a problem. It's uh, And what you've got to spend on CapEx going forward. On that side of it, an Acme shop, if it's, uh, uh, it's a steady Acme shop, is better than a Swiss shop. Because a Swiss shop is going to require you to spend a lot more money in CapEx uh, because the machines don't last as long. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Look at those things. There are a lot of things outside the business too, like uh, interest rates, uh, the economy. Um, right now is an excellent time to sell on that side because the economy is doing well and interest rates are low. As interest rates go higher, that hurts the values of businesses. So there's a lot of different things like that that can affect a multiple. Listeners, do you have an idea for a future episode of Swarfcast? Or is your company interested in advertising on the Swarfcast podcast? If so, please send us an email at swarfcastpodcast at gmail.com. That's swarfcastpodcast at gmail.com. Do you, do you think that you are running a variety of private equity group disguised as a screw machine company? <laughs> um, I would say that uh, uh, some of that is a little bit true, but we are still t- strategic. If a screw machine shop or a CNC shop is selling to us, they're selling to a strategic buyer. We're a strategic buyer on that side. How do you describe strategic? How would you define it? Um, there are some, we're not buying the company. Uh, we're bringing something to the business that's very related uh, to the business. We, uh, our sales teams talk on a regular basis. Our engineering teams talk. Um, our GMs of the different plants, they talk a lot. They, they learn a lot from each other, and they teach a lot to each other. Um, and it's, uh, it just makes it a better fit. Like if I buy a, if I buy a uh, just a, let's say, a Swiss uh, machine, CNC, and that's all they have, I'm a strategic buyer because, all right, I've got uh, screw machines, I've got hydromats, I've got grinding, I've got a lot of those other operations that might bring value to that business and that, those customer base. Mm-hmm. If it's a private equity company, a lot of times they don't, uh, they're not bringing those types of things to help the business. Um, they're bringing the ability on the finance side um, to, uh, you know, maybe help you, uh, 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 and I'll use that in quotes, help you uh, reduce costs and manage the business. Uh, but they usually don't have any expertise. Or they might have some, but not the detailed expertise that, that we have. Mm-hmm. 
I'm curious if you're taking the view from 20,000 feet, uh, how do you see the machining business as it relates to the automotive industry now? Do you see the automotive industry waning or do you see uh, the automotive industry as a good place to still reside? Um, well, I'll tell you that when valuing uh, companies, uh, bad industries to sell to are the automotive industry and the firearms industry. For us, uh, we, uh, we sell to those types of industries and we like selling to them. They're not our biggest at this point, uh, but there's, uh, there are some advantages to it. Uh, the longevity and the automotive side, uh, it's usually higher volumes that last uh, uh, multiple years, which is, which is good. But the automotive industry is very, uh, very price sensitive, and there's not a lot of relationships in that side of the industry. It's a, it's a, little, bit, uh, it's a little bit more difficult to uh, build a relationship with your customer. Um, and I think that's what gives it the, the negative uh, connotations to it. I was listening to a very smart investor comment on where he saw growth. Now, he was looking at it not uh, as a uh, somebody who has a background in machining, uh, but a much wider view. And he said, if I look at where the economies of the world are moving and where the American economy is moving over the next 20 years, I see the share of healthcare taking a bigger and bigger bite. And no industry besides healthcare has anywhere near the potential as far as uh, gain over the next 10 to 20 years. If that is the case, how would somebody in the machining world bet on the healthcare industry? How would we, how would we benefit from the healthcare industry? No, how would you bet on it? How, how could you invest in it? Uh, well, the, it's difficult because when you're, when you're in machining, if you're doing parts for the healthcare industry, um, uh, you're already there. If you're making parts for automotive and want to switch to medical, it's like starting a whole new business. That's it's why not, you have to acquire. Yeah, it's not an easy step to take. Um, it's not easy to start any business in the machining industry right now and to, uh, to switch from making parts for the automotive industry to the medical industry uh, is uh, – it's – it's a different company that supplies that industry. So it's, that's very difficult. Is that one of the things on your list as far as uh, ways to expand? Um, well, when, uh, when we talk about valuations and we talked about that uh, uh, automotive and uh, the firearm side are negatives, um, that your EBITDA, uh, medical is a positive which uh, ramps up those EBITDA numbers. So when I was giving you that range of three to six, that's the normal range. Uh, medical companies, a lot of times they are bought by 
competitors or or private equity that's in that sector. And a lot of them are sold to their customers. And when they're sold to their customers, I, I can give you an example. There was a medical company just down the street from us here, good friends with the owners. They sold uh, their machining business for 15 times EBITDA. Wow. Interesting. They were making medical components and the re- they sold to their customer. And the main reason why uh, was is that their their customer wanted to be their sole representative for selling their products. And they felt that they could drastically grow the business after they bought it by doing that. Those opportunities you don't see as much in the automotive industry or, or areas like that. Technology, selling the technology industries, um, the same type of thing. That's a positive. If you're selling to those types of customers, uh, technology, medical, uh, you can really, if you, and now you got to specialize usually in certain types of parts, but when they specialize in certain types of parts, those types of businesses can really see some high multiples. And once they see those high multiples, it takes it out of the range for me to be a player in buying that type of company because I am not the strategic buyer for that business. Uh, like that one was it sold to a customer. There was They had a strategic reason to buy that business and were able to pay, pay a very high price for it. Is there a way if you bought a, a Swiss machining company to maneuver that type of business, even if they weren't in the medical field, into medical more easily than, say, a company that had been running primarily automotive or, or firearms? Uh, no, I think that's even a, diff- a difficult step because, you know, if that being the case, uh, I've uh, I've got a building in one of our uh, companies that's almost all Swiss machines, and they don't do any medical work. Mm-hmm. To transition that into making parts for Swiss, it's still a different uh, it's a different mindset. So for us, it would either be buying a company that already does work in that industry, or starting it trying to start a new business on that side of it. And maybe you can, you know, it would help that you've already got some machines on the floor. That's, that, that's a positive, but trying to break into a new industry uh, to sell to um, in the machining world is, it's very tough. Okay. I'd just like to end it uh, in this way. And that is, would you be amenable if somebody offered you, let's say eight times EBITDA for your business uh, your machining businesses to sell them, or would you prefer to hold on to them and grow them yourself? No, we would sell. <clears throat> if uh, if somebody came to us, uh, and I would say that our businesses, because of our size and you know trying to position ourselves, knowing all all the different categories that are important, we're our value is probably between a five times to six times EBITDA type multiple. If somebody came in and offered me an eight times multiple, um, you know, we'd, uh, we'd really, uh, we'd really have to look at it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I could see us selling if something like that happened. And then what would you do? Uh, I, 
I'd, I'd go back and buy some other companies and do the same thing I'm doing. Oh, I thought you'd go fishing. <laughs> I, well, I'd, uh, uh, I love I love what I'm doing. I love fishing too, but you know I, <laughs> I don't fish so much. So, <laughs> uh, thank you, John. Thanks, John.